0: Welcome to the Progressive Practice Podcast, social performance practice at the core of the energy transition. This first season is funded by the Tentrans Research Project. Our last conversation in this podcast season is with Megan Davis. Megan is an Emerging Academic.
1: Her PhD research brought her into the REAP landscape. We quizzed her about her reading of that landscape, her research findings and what she makes of the role of the academy
0: in the energy transition. Buckle up for a conversation that mentions many academic terms and concepts, some of which you will find in the podcast description. Hi Megan, welcome and thanks so much for having this conversation with us. I'm just going to jump straight into it and ask you how you got involved in energy. So what's briefly the story of your career?
2: It's mostly been an academic career thus far, but I would think the moment when my career really began was when I drove from Stellenbosch, through Sutherland to Kenart, and weaving our way up through the Northern Cape uh, towards Kemus in the Northern Cape with my research partner in May 2016, and seeing wind turbines across the escarpments in the central parts of the country. And then finally, as we came over the hill from Kenart towards Kemus, and I saw this glinting at the corner of my eye on the horizon, and I had no idea what it was, that it turned out that it was the concentrated solar power tower, a uh, 200 meter tower standing in the standing out in the landscape on the horizon, and we drove towards it on our first field trip outing, and I think that was really the moment when my life as an energy researcher began. And it was after that time I spent two months doing field work and a few months later probably in that year, about six six or so months of fieldwork in 2016 that carried on to, in the last few years, as part of my PhD. But at a, perhaps a higher level, um, my academic career in, has always been around governance of infrastructure. And during my master's, I was thinking about that in the context of urban infrastructure in Stellenbosch municipality. And during my PhD, that has been... I evolved that to thinking about energy infrastructure at a more national level and it really came alive when I spent time in the places where these large pieces of infrastructure had landed as part of the Renewable Energy Independent Power Producer Procurement Program, the REAP, as I'm sure we're all familiar with. And it was through the master's and now the PhD that I've really become to grapple from an academic point of view with place-based investments, with low-carbon technologies how we think about sustainability transitions in the context of new infrastructures like renewable energy plants. And that research has been made possible with support from the National Research Foundation, which also enabled us to grow a research group at the CST, which you are both part of. And my PhD has also been enabled through a partnership with the French Development Bank, a development finance institution that's interested in understanding dynamics of South Africa's energy transition. So that's been how I've got to where I am now. And this is my last month of being um, officially unemployed. Next month, I begin employment on a new research project at the CST, which is looking at also similar questions around how to how to align investments in energy with social equity outcomes. And that's with an international consortium of research institutions.
0: Cool. So quite a journey. Um, And now being in your final stages of your PhD, could you provide us with an overview of your last four years of your work on your PhD?
2: I thought perhaps a useful way to do that would be to tell a bit of a story about how my research questions have evolved, because I think they tell a story about how, what I've learned along the way and how I've had to evolve my, my research approach as I've gone. Now The research approach is a transdisciplinary one. And that means it's an iterative, reflexive, collaborative way of thinking about research. And it's not so much about having a predetermined research question, which then I go out and look for uh, information to either affirm or corroborate. Or um, It's more of having an openness to different questions along the way. So at the beginning, when I spent those first few months in the Northern Cape, the question that was driving my inquiry was one around what are the developmental impacts of IPPs in the small towns and rural communities where they were located. And it then evolved to thinking a little bit more around how IPPs might better be integrated into those local economies where they're situated. And a third iteration of the research question was a bit more normatively charged as I learned more about the energy transitions literature and what was happening elsewhere in in the world around these kinds of research topics. And the question became, well, what are the prospects for energy democracy in South Africa? Which was a, a term that I learned a lot more about in that time. So you can see how those questions evolved, That at the beginning I was thinking about, well, what just happens to these t- these towns where you have IPPs? Next I was thinking, well, okay, we can understand and get to get up get to grips with the, what the impacts of these infrastructures are. But then how might we change those dynamics? And the third iteration was something around, well, how can we use these new infrastructures as the the basis of new ways of relating so energy democracy is a developmental perspective on the energy transition and it's asking about it has much more of a a political economy lens on infrastructure and, and energy infrastructure and so i eventually arrived on a question that i think holds the the various ebbs and flows of my research and that's how and to what extent has the reap catalyzed south africa's transition to energy democracy so, I'd hope to, um, in my PhD, explore how the policy framework that is the REAP um, and the ways, the rules of the game that it stipulated created the conditions for certain positive outcomes to happen. So, there's a huge amount that has been learned from the economic development um, requirements that are built into the competitive procurement program. But there are also a whole load of unintended consequences, contradictions, and emergent potentialities within the REAP. And so, I Decided to inquire into those with an with an open mind, but also having this normative ambition of thinking about energy democracy as a developmental perspective on the energy transition. So going beyond just substituting renewables, carbon intensive infrastructures with low carbon alternatives. But what? How can we um, reconfigure the forms of collective life? And that's a phrase that I use quite often. And I'll come to it a little bit later how I how I who infor, inspired that 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 thinking. But All of this, this whole inquiry was made possible through a situated account in the Northern Cape with a group of stakeholders in the ZF Machau District Development Coordinating Forum. And that was a group of local municipal officials within the ZF Machau District. There are five local municipalities, but there are also a whole host of IPPs, mostly solar PV and CSP. And there are also community trusts related to those IPPs, but there are also large agricultural bodies, community organizations, business chambers, that now all of a sudden have to think about and are are, are confronted with this new reality of having renewable energy infrastructures in their backyards, and how they relate to the financial flows, the new relationships, the the interactions that are catalyzed by by that infrastructure. And the ZF Machau District Development Coordinating Forum was where I spent two years exploring these challenges of collaboration and coordination and try really getting to grips with these unintended consequences and the potentials that are that were made possible by the way the REAP was designed. And so for two years, I worked with this forum chaired by the IDC, the Industrial Development Corporation, and worked with them to help to try and explore with them how they can organize their collective impact in more effective ways. So it was this moment in time where a group of stakeholders had a vision of potentially seeing how they could differently relate to each other and how they could make the most of the investments made possible by this decentralized and dispersed renewable energy infrastructure. And and in many ways, it was unsuccessful. And I think as I'm now in the phase of my PhD where I'm making sense of that, um, through the theoretical lenses that I have, have compiled and have been sort of built and weave together as I have learned about what's happening on the ground. So the theoretical and empirical realities have spoken well to each other. It really is, I used to feel like the forum was a failure, but in many ways it wasn't because it was a window into how it might be different. And that then helps me think about how the rules of the game in policy um, so, uh, did not incentivize the kinds of collaboration and coordination that that group of stakeholders wanted to realize in practice. And so the message of my PhD is to tell that story and to, ha- to perhaps uh, think about some key takeaways about how policy might be more supportive of a vision of energy democracy where local stakeholders ac- across different scales, across different sectors might support and leverage the developmental potential of renewable energy infrastructure.
1: Sure. Sure. Wow, <laughs> you have you have very obviously read a heck of a lot, and you're very familiar and and um, comfortable with a lot of concepts, and it, by the sounds of it, also the larger theoretical bodies um, of, of knowledge and literature around this. Yeah, um, I mean we do know you as a prolific reader and and uh, thinker, and I wonder in in your PhD research, are there maybe a few items, findings that stand out for you that have really shaped the way you think about your work and the the energy landscape? Mm.
2: So in the previous reflection, I talked a lot about how those experiences on the ground brought to light things that I wouldn't have been able to understand if I had just read about the REAP on paper. But equally, academic literature was really helpful for me to make sense of what I was seeing on the ground. So there was a dance between the academic literature and things that I would read and concepts that I would encounter, with what I saw in reality, and so it's been hugely valuable for me to spend a lot of time both immersing in real world contexts, working with stakeholders on the ground, working with industry stakeholders, working with uh, engaging with policymakers, with civil society, but also spending a lot of time. Engaging with with academic literature, and I think I would I would locate myself in. It's very difficult to think about what discipline I belong to because I, th- I I read across so many fields of literature, but I think I locate myself within the sustainability transitions literature, which, as much as it is a body of literature that is developed out of the global north, I have found it very useful to as a, with. Fr- I found it very useful to come up with theories and frameworks for thinking about how change happens. And the other lenses that I have integrated into that through my PhD is thinking about policy and thinking about governance. So policy is the goals of society, the the things that we'd like to achieve um, and the ways that we the rules of the game that we use to do that. And governance being about the mechanisms of steering, of forming collective action, of building alliances. And so together, those are the three legs of my of my theoretical perspective, and together they they represent a relational theory of change that has helped me to inquire into what the energy transition surfaces. But I've also had a normative position, and norm, I have developed a normative position. I think it's important that we recognise that research is never agnostic or, um, or objective, and I have I have I re- try to acknowledge my my normative orientation and that is towards this idea of energy democracy and it's something that again has developed out of the global north and is increasingly being located in global south context which is why I think academic work is so important to to in, um, evolve these important and powerful ideas but energy democracy in some in the way that I engage with it is to see that renewable energy infrastructure has a developmental potential That is different from other kinds of renewable of energy infrastructure and so to leverage that to empower different actors new stakeholders um and and in places where that never happened before so other than the energy democracy literature i've the energy the energy geography literature has been helpful in emphasizing the spatiality and the material of materiality of these infrastructures that it is important to think about where and how we relate to infrastructure, the stuff of politics, the stuff of our daily lives. And so that's been a really powerful body of work, is is to say that new opportunities are opened up by decentralized infrastructures that create new political and economic opportunities for a wider variety of stakeholders. So I think that would be the way I would bridge the energy democracy and energy geography ideas. And perhaps I'd just like to note two speak two thinkers that have, have informed my intersectional inquiry into energy transitions and again the two global north thinkers to a white male and a white female and I one of my challenges to myself is to is to build up and and immerse myself more in the in the global south literature although there there are many thinkers um, who do that but I'll just mention Timothy Mitchell and Cara Daggett to start Timothy Ritchell wrote in 2011 a powerful book called Carbon Democracy, and that was a real turning point for me in my understanding of the connection between energy infrastructure and our political economy. There are a number of writers who speak about that, but Tim Mitchell writes about how coal was the basis of welfare economics, and the move to oil created the foundations for neoliberalism, and he used the phrase of new... How the energy transition opens up opportunities of configuring new forms of collective life, and for me, that's the real opportunity with our energy transition is to use different kinds of energy infrastructure and to configure that infrastructure in ways that supports the goals of our specific societies. And the other, and the other re- writer is Cara Dagger, who wrote about petro masculinity, and so knowing that energy is deeply intertwined in our society and that energy and, for example, capitalism or um, democracy are, are deeply connected to each other, Cara Daggett takes that a step further to say that actually um, fossil fuels have um, buttressed white patriarchal rule. And so the concept of petromasculinity um, is helpful for thinking about, about the inequality that we the contradictions of fossil fuels in many ways, the fact that it has contributed to well-being for many, but has actually exacerbated inequality as well. So those are two of the thinkers that have been really profound and have emphasized to me the necessity of a political understanding of energy, but also an intersectional
1: one. Sure. Thank you so much. Those were quite rapid um, experiences or, or insights into... Um, really really important pieces of work um, that shape a lot about how we discuss energy and the the energy discourse globally global north but also um, through your work and other people's works um, in south africa for example Um, i would like to ask on that sort of on the back of this question like what your observations have been personally or also in in literature Reflecting on South Africa, your PhD here, your really embedded position as a PhD candidate in the Northern Cape specifically, but also maybe in literature as you're picking up internationally, on what, yeah, where you at in terms of thinking about the role of academia in fostering policy and practice, um, specifically in the energy transition, and maybe with a intention of a just energy transition. Mm.
2: So I've recently been spending time putting my references together for my PhD. And one of the considerations that I was having as I worked through each of my citations was asking myself how many of these writers are women and how many of these writers are, are on the African continent or in the global south. And it was an insight into how much the energy research space is dominated by the global north. That increasingly there is a focus on the global south but often this happens through the gaze of the global north now obviously these this is not the case across the board it's 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 a trend that's certainly changing but there are those kinds of disparities that we need to to change and so i feel very passionate about being located in south africa at a south african institution perhaps one that obviously has a problematic role in our in our in south africa's history but to be inside an institution, a research group at this institution that is trying to revisit the role of academia in society and to have a more positive, to, 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 to perhaps pioneer, maybe is a bit um, not such a humble way of saying it, but to explore, humbly explore the role and purpose of academia for positive societal change within our context and I think that is a trend that's happening globally. the The role of academia and its purpose is certainly shifting, and there is a, a shift towards seeing academia as needing to support proactively and normatively, like, positive outcomes for society. So it's no longer about pretending that you are in a neutral position, sitting in your ivory tower, observing society. And but it's actually about being grounded in reality, bringing to bear powerful ideas supporting people through different kinds of research methodologies to realize good outcomes for the world. And I have done that through a way of thinking about research as transdisciplinary, about collaboration, about being embedded, about co-production, um, and seeing academia, academic work as supportive of wider goals for society. And in, in light of that, and, and sometimes doing perhaps unconventional research, the importance of research networks and academic networks is important. And I have found that in South Africa, it's not as vibrant as perhaps elsewhere in the world. I have been part of the early career researchers, transitions, it's called the NEST community. It's early career researchers in sustainability transitions research. And I have found a community there where I have found like-minded people to share these kinds of ideas with, but it's certainly lacking in Global South representation. And Hala, one of the... One of the ambitions that we have shared and, and try to invest in is to build and, con- and convene an academic network of energy researchers in South Africa. And my hope is that we can do that more actively going forward um, because the role of the value of academia is certainly um, one that's often overlooked given the way that academia has often functioned in the past. We need to rethink our roles as researchers, we need to reflect on our power, we need to work in collaboration we need to have and I, but I do see the value of powerful ideas that are exper- experimented with practitioners and in practice um, for example the way that I was able to do that in in the Northern Cape with my own with the forum where, where I worked was perhaps sometimes introducing a new idea that people had not come across before but then it was evolved as we grappled with the realities of that of that idea
0: sure fascinating so Megan earlier you mentioned that it's really difficult to place yourself within one discipline in the field and I related to that so much because I think it's true for many people that I got into energy via like a really roundabout way not expecting to end up here and I think from that you bring something from all your past experiences and it, it shapes the way you think Um, But to make it somewhat more directional, how do you respond to prospective students who ask you what they should study to advance this energy discussion in South Africa?
2: The remark about not knowing how to position yourself is indeed very true. And I think it's one of the the areas that academia is evolving around. It's no longer Mm -hmm. useful to have these siloed disciplines. We need much more interdisciplinary ways of, of working and inquiring and so I would recommend any student to, to take on a multidisciplinary way of thinking about academic work, that it might be useful to have technical skills, but it's much more, in my view, important to have an, a broad understanding of, of a specific field or a specific set of, of tools. Um, but that social science is so important for any of this work. And I always tell people when I'm that I when I introduce myself and I'm an energy researcher it's not so much that I'm interested in the solar panels or the wind turbines or the transmission grid in and of itself i'm more interested in what it means about how we build a good society and how we how we overturn the power imbalances and the inequities in our society so it's you have to think through energy into much broader questions and for that you need to have different kinds of understandings so i think the importance of communication of facilitation and an understanding of political ideas. And for me, one area that I've really had to catch up on is understanding policy, and that policy is not something that's dry and out there and done by government officials. It's actually a powerful way of thinking about change, and that there are multiple ways of relating to policy, informing policy as an avenue for bringing about better futures. And that goes hand in hand with other kinds of, um, of work um, and experimentation on the ground. So I, just to perhaps round this answer off is to emphasise the importance of a social science orientation, and one that is not only rooted in a single disciplinary
1: perspective. You've you've spoken a bit about what drives you. Probably quite a lot, actually, between the lines, at least. Especially when, if one knows you, um, the quest for knowledge and inquiry and the curiosity. To understand, you know, where edges of innovation maybe lie, possibility for justice, equity, equality, um, those, those inquiries academically or practically, or maybe as a practicing academic or academic practitioner, require a lot of work, right? internal work, um, collective work, to to maintain the reflective edge and the um, yeah, to stay honest and 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 as awake as possible. So I wonder, you say you're about to start your first employment, um, which comes with specific conditions, definitely in the academia or academy on how you how you work. But looking back over your years and your masters, the teaching you have done, the research as a PhD candidate, and your professional practice you have developed in that course. How how would you how are you thinking about um, what is needed in in your experience to sustain a reflective I want to call it social practice at the interface of those practic- uh, private and public interests you outlined a bit about and especially now as we we like to say at the core phase of the the energy transition really the questions of our decade or generation actually
2: mm, Holly you put that so nicely such a great challenging question and there is a lot of work to be done in ourselves in our research groups in our institutions in our society and yeah it's a it's a i think we need to have we need to do the reflective work we need to have spaces where it's not just about the content that we are producing but reflections about how we work who we work with and the ways in which we work and for that it's quite similar to what i was saying about the ways that students might position themselves in this space but that we also need strong social um we need strong social science in the practice space so we need there's so much need for skilled facilitation for mediation for um this intermediary work that bridges different sectors of society that. Bridges, power, groups of people that are, um, have their, where there are imbalances of power, and to help us have honest conversations about race and class dynamics and how they are replicated through energy infrastructures, for example. And we, we need to have that reflective practice as researchers, whether you are in a, in a think tank, an NGO, or a research institution like Stellenbosch University, where I am where those conversations are possible and that there's nothing where as an academic institution, we're not above or we're not exempt from those, those issues. It's really important that we hold each other to account to have those difficult conversations. And I think we need people who are skilled to help us do that work. And it's not, everybody, we, it's not everybody's job to do that, but I think there should be more people whose job it is to help us reflect and we should also equip ourselves to participate in those conversations and in those processes and so for example at the CST and our own research group it's important for us to have conversations about who we partner with what kind of research we want to do how do we want to be understood how do we address our own how do we address our own power imbalances and gender imbalances in our group and for example when i when i teach i have to think carefully about whose voices am i elevating what kind of ideas am I presenting? What is my normative position? And to do all of that, you need a space that can hold that conversation and somebody that can help or a group of people that can help you hold that conversation. So my hope going forward as an academic practitioner, a practicing academic, whichever way we put it, that I would be able to be part of a network of, of young or perhaps intergenerational multicultural diverse group of researchers where we can think we can share our our the passion for thinking about energy but also for asking these more deep and inquiring questions into how we work and what kind of society we're working for
1: Mm. thank you yeah that definitely paints a picture that uh, that looks exciting to my eyes um Mm. the element of youth which is so patently available right now <laughs> between the two of you specifically, but um yeah let's make use of this moment we 've got,
0: yeah, mm. and I think there's so much opportunity for these growing and evolving communities of practice, yeah yes, and I think the I, I, it's perhaps something i didn't
2: emphasize when I described what I have done and and Holly, you brought it up, but for me, teaching and engaging with postgrad students um is a space where a lot of this is cultivated and, and Tasneem you were a graduate of, of, of my course. And it's so great to be able to work with you as a colleague now and to see you enjoying the, enjoying is perhaps a, a a weird word to describe it, but uh, having, finding energy, thinking about energy, but, Yeah, teaching is a really important part of all of this work because it's it's where you ground ideas in conversation with young people who are fired up about sustainability and bringing in social justice and bringing about positive change. And I think going forward, for me, teaching is a place where I'm able to be held accountable for those ideas in in the midst of a group that is able to... um, reflect back at me my positionality and and to help me go deeper into so many of these questions that then I would be able to do on my own Mm.
1: I would like to just use this moment to check with you and I know we didn't prepare for this but you mentioned questions are you sitting with specific questions you know will keep you busy for a couple of years or maybe looking more broadly into the country or the region or the continent what are the questions we we are facing Your view.
2: That is a big question. Or anything else you'd like to say? (laughs) (laughs) It's really important to be inquiring and to have questions rather than problem statements, because questions are open-ended and there is no predetermined. It's really important to have an open mind and to inquire into things. And yeah, I guess the The big question for me that that maybe sits under all of this is how can renewable energy provide the material basis of a just and equitable society and that's that's a that's one of the driving questions of my own work because it cascades into so many parts of society it speaks to many different topics our food system our transport system our urban system but looking back at history we see that energy has has provided the foundation for so many other things and it 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 is intertwined in all of our institutions and our political imaginaries and our uh, community structures and our ways of moving through the world, our ways of eating and consuming, and so energy is a is a is a really powerful entry point into building a different society. So this and how we build new forms of collective life is both having the image the imaginary of a better society of a better world what what that might look like but at the same time having strategies for realizing change and you have to do both of those at the same time so we need to do important work about what kind of society we want to live in and then come up with ways of using energy infrastructure amongst other tools at our disposal to build and and um, configure that better world
1: what a point to end on
2: I just want to say thank you both for initiating this conversation. It's always, and perhaps it's a, another way to answer your final point. This exercise is one of those ways of initiating and creating space for a reflective and conversation and one that is critical of my, of myself and what my contribution is, how I position myself. So I, I hope that we can have lots more conversations like this and that this benefits not just A narrow group of people but yeah thank you for this awesome initiative
1: thank you for being game to participate and in uh, the somewhat pressured stage to turn your private thoughts into public goods instantly um, at the press of a recording button i think it's (laughs) really yeah
2: Thank you very much. <laughs> thank, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Tasni, and thank you, Harla. This is great.
0: This was a really dense conversation full of lots of academic terms. Megan was in hibernation, finishing writing her PhD when we asked her to join us for this episode. We look forward to see her grow in her academic work now that her PhD is complete. Our podcast season has come to an end with this last conversation. We hope you have enjoyed it. If you have any comments or questions, or perhaps wish to fund another season, please get in touch with us.